0: Yeah, uh, it, I, I think it's a really good question. I mean, and I'll tell you, I mean, a lot of people talk about this whole idea of this great, the great resignation. I, I think resignation is an outcome, right? Uh, it started before the resignation, right? I think we should call it the great disengagement because it's first about the, the, the leaders not being engaged with their employees. And therefore after a while, they just kind of give up. I don't care anymore. And they're now disengaged in their role, right? But that's why they resign.
1: Welcome to the lead- Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're also excited to now be a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, a wide-ranging network of podcasts designed to enrich your business, your leadership, and every aspect of your life. Today we have a fascinating guest with us. Banai Raman is with us. The title of the program, interesting title, Invitational Leadership tools to enhance your leadership and performance. Benai talks about being an invitational leader rather than a servant leader, a very different perspective on leadership. He talks a lot with us today about finding and navigating past your blind spots, but doing it in a unique way. Benai has created an organization called Carmo and they have a performance intelligence software tool that helps organizations use data to find their blind spots and to find what the organization needs to do different in order to enhance the performance of their people, the team, and the entire organization. This tool is so fascinating, but it's not just about data. As Vinay will tell us, it's about integrating data into our stories to help enhance our decision-making, our messaging, And he's going to talk about something called failure velocity. And one of the things I love in our conversation is the way while we're talking about data, he's talking about empathizing the data in order to grow our leadership, our engagement, our retention, and ultimately our performance. We are so excited to be back here with Leadership Junkies. And I'm particularly excited because for two reasons. One is our guest Vinay Raman is with us. He's from Raleigh, North Carolina, obviously Craig's home. I love the triangle area, but more importantly, Vinay loves to talk about and ask questions about blind spots, which is one (laughs) of our favorite topics. And, and frankly, if you haven't heard us before, you don't know, but pretty much every episode we're talking about some form of blind spot. Uh, We personally believe it is the path to change. Yes. Uh, And, you know, spoiler alert, it requires vulnerability. So if if you're not willing to be vulnerable, it's time to stop listening. No, no, no. Stay. Stay with us. Uh, If you don't want to grow,
2: don't don't look for your leadership.
1: Yeah, that's right. Give up your seat. So Vinay Raman's with us. He's the CEO of a company called Carmo that helps businesses and employees unlock their hidden potential, maximize opportunities. And mitigate the risk through what they call, it's a performance intelligence software tool. Uh, You're certainly going to hear him today talk about something called Experience Next. Not going to give you any spoiler alerts on that one. Uh, He has built decision-making tools that help people more deeply understand their people, their company, and of course themselves. Uh, He has worked and learned from a lot of prominent people. And I love this mission. He says, I love to pay it forward. I've made lives easier for thousands of owners, senior leaders, and employees across the country. And his mission is to help business leaders improve employee retention, engagement, and productivity using data. Imagine that, using data. And I, and I have to add this in. I'm, I'll probably throw a question in here eventually, but I recently finished Adam Grant's book called Think Again, and he was talking about the need to think like scientists which I suspect is going to involve more use of that data versus the the anecdotal stories that are nice to listen to, but aren't always accurate. <laughs> so welcome, Vinay. Wow. Well, well, thank you. That was
0: a fantastic uh, introduction. Thank you very much, uh, Craig and Jeff. I appreciate you all taking the time uh, to talk with me.
1: Yeah. Great to have a fellow Raleighite here.
0: Agreed. Yeah. It's nice. Is that to, the
1: actual uh, word? Or did you just make that up? I just Raleigh- made it. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Oh, they I have I'll, something I'll they call it. in Tampa <laughs> I have heard they have before. a word
1: that I don't like. In Tampa, they call people Tampanians. <laughs> Why would you voluntarily use that word? <laughs> isn't, isn't that a membrane on a on a frog? <laughs> I don't Sounds like a lot of things. Don't sounds like be something part sanitary. Yes. <laughs> so Vanai, I gave a quick overview. Give everybody a little bit of the backstory for Vanai Ramen.
0: Yeah. So th- th- yeah, thank you. Um I have found about myself so i'll just talk about myself i've always found that what i'm really good at is the stuff that i love to do and that i'm naturally good at right my what i'll call you know we have that uh, joint friend tracy phillips she's the innate coach the things that are innate within you are the things that you do really well just you're already in a natural flow state so there are two things that i think in my upbringing and uh in my professional career that have always come to the fore I love people, I love people's <laughs> stories. I always get so much out of it and I continue to enrich my understanding of the world. But my background is in artificial intelligence, machine learning, data analytics. But hold on, those two things don't fit together. Oh yeah. And that's been always a problem. It's like the data people are saying to the people on the, uh, on the functional side, the people understand the story, you guys don't get the story. And the people over here on the business side, the functional say to the data people, you guys don't get the story. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I mean, how many times have we worked in an organization where those two sides are saying the pointing fingers at the other one? Neither one of them are right. Neither one of them are wrong. The fact is the answer is right in the middle. So uh, where I've kind of come to in my career and my progression, my career is I've seen all the data. I've tried to lead people. It's the stories that matter. But the data helps support your understanding in that empirical method from a scientific point of view. What is the actual story that's happening so that you can respond as opposed to react to what's happening in the organization does that does that
1: resonate with you at all oh very much i, I especially liked the, the the fact you're talking about these two sides and as soon as i hear sides we know we've got an issue <laughs> slash problem that are and that are many ways are actually agreeing with each other but they're so busy focused on the parts that they disagree they can't see where their ground is, which is that middle space where it comes, where it comes together and it integrates.
0: Yeah, I mean, we even look at the political environment. You know what? At least in the United States, I mean, how many people? What a percentage of the people are actually centrist? They actually sit in the center, right? It's the vast majority of them, and then there's people who sit on the left or the right. that are the small minority that make a lot of the noise. Uh, and a lot of people listen to that because most people are kind of just sitting in the center and they kind of just know we need to kind of move forward and move to the next topic. But there's people out here saying, oh, you, these people don't understand what's happening, which is what this site is saying as well. And if only we could all kind of start to realize that there's a shared reality in the middle. Yeah. Oh, we could start making some progress together. Let's find I mean, that shared things, reality first.
2: Yeah. I mean, it just seems like people are willing to give up their relationships over whether they're right or not. And when you play the right game, you know, it's, it's really playing the finite game versus the infinite game. If we're, if we're looking at relationships, we've got to, we've got to play it for the long term.
0: That, that's a really funny, uh, interesting point, because I've got some young kids, 12, uh, 11, and eight, and poor them, they have to listen to all these leadership. <laughs> <in their> <laughs> you know, I can't get the high roll every time. But one of the things that I tell them uh, is this idea that, Children have the luxury of seeing in black and whites, right? Superman is good. Lex Luthor is bad. Black and <laughs> white, right? But as we get to be adults, very few things are black and white. They're more continuums of existing, right? They're good-ish or badish, right? Employees are not bad. They're badish, <laughs> right? Less effective as opposed to more effective. So if we can start to find that shared reality in sort of the shades of gray, gosh, the picture becomes so much more beautiful because black and white photos usually have lots of contrast to them, but they don't show the full beauty of El Capitan in, in, uh, <laughs> in a national park, right? right? Uh, because you don't see all the, the greenery, you just see the black and white. Is that, is that, does that resonate
1: with you all as well? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and I've, I guess for me personally, I think the world is just all gray. And the trouble I had was navigating a gray world with gray values. Mm -hmm. and great Mm -hmm. principle. So that didn't work well for me. So what I've chosen to do is I often take a black and white approach for purposes of understanding, but not Mm entrenchment. And for purposes to help me see something and then figure out how do I apply that within the grayness. It's kind of like making a decision, which is I I know I do this a lot with clients. They'll say, I've got, I've got 30 decisions to make. I'll say, no, I'm really confident you got one. And then the one after you make the one, then you've got 29 more or maybe less, depending on that decision. But it's so you get so muddled up trying to bring all these things that that could happen and that might happen. Well, yeah, but none of those matter until you make this decision. Why don't you take a look at what's going on right here with this? Um, I've just found that it simplifies and helps gives clarity the decisions I'm going to make, whether personally or professionally.
0: Yeah, I mean, so that's a, this is a really excellent point, right? I mean, I think this is where a lot of people get caught in the paralysis by analysis, right? Too much complexity. But if we talk, go back to this whole scientific method. I mean, what what did I learn in you know eighth, ninth, and tenth grade when I'm dissecting the uh, the frog or uh, doing some you know science experiment? You come up with a thesis, and then you got this antithesis, right? The null, null hypothesis. Two sides, right? And then you go through the experiment and you find out that your thesis in the beginning was wrong. So you come up with synthesis and it's just the cycle that keeps going on. So you're constantly putting feedback in and constantly refining your understanding of the world. But you got to start somewhere to your point, Jeff, right? You come up and say, this is where I'm standing. I believe that all my employees are wrong.
1: <laughs> Great start. Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Wait, you might be starting out your leadership career. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's right.
0: You might want to take a different career path.
2: I, I tend right. to like the Technicolor personally, but. <laughs> but, um,
0: but that's, I, I think that to your point, right? Then you quickly find out, oh, that's not, that's not a really high resolution statement right there. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I need to tune, tune, tune and tweak that a little bit. <laughs>
1: But my point is that, I, I love what you said, the thesis antithesis. So how often do we do that in leadership? How often do we often do that in team discussions? Too often we don't even get clear on the thesis or we're, we're always working often, let's just say often working at one extreme or the other without looking the other side. Like look yeah. at a situ- you look at a solution or an opportunity and say, oh, but what happens if this happens? Well, when are you gonna talk about what happens if this works? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think that there's often a lot of people that will try to surround themselves with people that think like them so that there's less conflict. And yet that's exactly opposite of what we really need if we want the highest performance.
0: Gosh, this is, uh, I, I'm, I'm loving this conversation on so many <laughs> levels. Um, you know, so as, you, know, as uh, we were, you were talking about early on, I mean, as a company, what we do is we take all the data that exists in the company And one of the things we start to talk about is this idea of failure velocity. Everyone says fail fast. What what does that actually mean, right? How do you fail fast? No one actually strives to do that. (laughs) But we start talking about failure velocity. How quickly are you failing? Well, you're not failing a lot if everybody around the table is kind of uh, singing Kumbaya and going in the exact same direction, has got the same background and eats the same sort of uh, French fries from the same restaurant every single day, right? (laughs) (laughs) There is no failure, right? Because everyone's just agreeing with each other. The failure is actually where you start to find the value, right? That's where you find out that's the antithesis, right? That's where you start to build the synthesis. So the faster you start to fail, the faster that you'll actually get to the synthesis that is the right one. Uh, and that honestly comes back to this whole, I mean, this whole conversation that's happening around DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's all about don't put everyone at the, everyone at the table who looks, exact, who looks, walks, and talks the same. Bring some diversity in so you can fail faster to get to the, to the right answer. Is that, is that what you were saying, Craig?
2: Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's actually a couple different perspectives. Like if I look at my career, I had one side that was in IT. Either things worked or they didn't for the most part, right? You, you connect a cable, it's either working or it's not. Fast forward to the marketing side and everything is a test and you have to get feedback from the market. You can put an ad out there that looks great. It you you expect it just to pull and nothing happens. You put this other piece of crap out there and people are just clicking on it all day, all day long. So you just don't know exactly what's going to happen until you put it out there. So it's test, 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 and you're trying to get feedback. And it just goes back to Eric Reese's book, um, which is all about, you know, everything that you do is a test. You you get the minimum viable product out there, you you find the You get the feedback from the market, and then that's how you figure out what's going on. Well, we can apply that same thing to leadership as we step into, let's try something with our employees. Let's ask questions. Wow. See what they want to do. We can try some stuff. We don't have to make it policy. But everybody thinks, okay, well, if we try something, it has to perpetuate forever. Yeah. That's not the case.
0: This brings me to something that, something that comes up as you're saying this is I think uh, for a long time when I was very early in my career, there was so much pride of technical knowledge, intellect, or authorship, right? I yeah. did this, right? That was the pride that has shifted from pride of authorship or intellect to more pride of resilience, right? No mm-hmm. matter what you throw on, I'm going to cat has nine lives. I like to believe I've got 999,000, right? <laughs> you, you can throw me, I'm going to land on my feet no matter where I go because- yeah. When I get into a situation where I don't know uh, up from down, I start asking questions, and all of a sudden, I aren't myself really, really fast. And isn't that really? Uh, I believe. I mean, my my humble <laughs> estimation that's the true mark of leadership is your ability to start resi- being resilient and being able to shift as the organization responds, not reacts to external stimulus. So, Vanai, do you find
2: that in that in that resilience? Is it really more of not being reactionary or how, do you, how, do you, how does it process in your mind when you see these things happening that maybe are not your ideal outcomes?
0: Yeah, gosh, that's a, that's a, I, I love that question for multiple reasons. And, and um, you'll see, I love my analogies here. So I'm gonna talk about my poor kids again. Um, I've told them, hey, kids, just for assume for a second, uh, I'm the smartest person in the world, right? And I'm starting standing at the bottom of the valley And I'm looking up and I'm trying to figure out whether it's raining or not. The person who's standing on top of the mountain knows before me that it's going to rain. It doesn't matter how smart they are because their perspective is right. So for me, I found that in terms of resilience, uh, reactivity is usually me operating based on what I've known in the past, the past narratives, right? The past things that I've seen. But has anything changed? I don't know that the wind is blowing from the north and that's changing which clouds are where. So I need to ask the person on the top of the mountain. I need to have 15 mountains around me that I'm constantly saying, hey, mountain one, mountain two, mountain three, what do you see? What do you see? Because then I can start to respond to the changes in the weather system as opposed to saying, I know the weather always comes in from the west. I know when it's gonna rain and it comes in from the north and I get screwed.
2: (laughs) Sounds like a whole bunch of data.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a a great way to put it.
1: (laughs) But let's talk about data. You uh, help everybody understand You've created um, systems uh, to use data to help with decision-making. Yeah. You, you talked about one already, failure, velocity, but that's an outcome. You're measuring something to determine that. That's right. ha- talk about how the systems you use work and what are some of the keys to make them work? Because yeah. if you don't have data, it doesn't work well. And if you have inaccurate data, that's not going to work oh, either. Yeah, so, <laughs> that makes it worse. So let's, let's talk about first about this idea of storytelling, right? Uh, in order to be
0: able to, uh, people understand stories better I can put 10,000 statistics in front of you and you probably just kind of eyes roll back into your head, but people love stories. Ever since we were children, we love stories. I still love stories. A good uh, book by Vince Flynn. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pour through <laughs> that book for the next five nights, even though I need to go to sleep. Yeah. The story's good, right? So data the way I think about it, and I think the way we think of it as a company, a data should support a narrative or a story. Hmm. So, most organizations have software. They already, have, I mean, most organizations have lots and lots of software. And what is software all about? It's about productivity, it's measuring stuff. So, if you take this data that's already in an organization, you start to chart it over time. A lot of people start to call that a KPI, a key performance indicator. I press this button 10 times. Well, Jack pressed it 10 times. I pressed it 10 times, but Sally's pressed it 12. All right, now we're starting to see some differences in performance of those individuals. Well, now we need to start thinking about the bigger story, right? Does Sally show up on time? Does Jack show up on time? Does Vinay show up on time, right? So we start to talk about different pieces of data and how they all interrelate with each other. So we start going to companies and we start asking them, So who are your really effective employees and who are your ineffective employees? And what they're answering for us right then is what is important in their culture, right? Because they love Sally. She keeps pressing it 12 times because that's how they make money. But guess what? Sally always shows up late. But all they really care about is her pressing the button. So what we do is we start overlaying the data and we start aligning it with what is the cultural desired sort of cultural outcomes. Right. So now we've got data associated with the culture of the company.
1: The question that comes to me, Vanak, is the t- you referred to your tool in the bio as a performance intelligence tool. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we've talked about a lot here, ask a lot of questions is. It's important to get clear what performance means. Yeah. Like organizations will say, well, we've got all these high performers to your point, it turns out, though, those high performers may not be actually aligned with your stated values. So, when you're coming in and you're you're going in and starting to measuring these things, are you at, at the beginning just collecting data to see what it tells you, or are you also specifically looking to see how the data compares with what they tell you their values are? Like what tell more Talk more about that process?
0: Yeah, we you, we can't uh, if, if um, I don't want to go into another analogy because I feel like I'm going in lots of different directions here, but okay. the first thing that we've always got to do in any situation is take a counter stock of what is. What is happening right now? Because we can't start any journey unless we know where we're standing right now. Are we facing north, west, east, or south? Right? So the first thing that we come to a company is we say, give us some of your data. And let me give you an assessment of what I see right now. And we'll say, this is where what I see is really effective in your company. And they say, but hold on a second. We've got employees who've got really high net promoter scores, but they're spending, I want them to be there for 30 minutes. They're spending an hour there and ask them, so is that what you want? They say, no, we want them to be making more visits per day. Well, then you gotta train your employees so that they're not spending more time on site because they probably might be talking to Ms. Smith and Ms. Jones more than they need to. So the first thing is we start to help them find the delta between where they wanna be and what actually is today and how to kind of bridge that gap. Now they have decisions that they can take and we'll even give them a financial impact score, right? Here's what is the cost of staying there for an hour versus 35 minutes or 28 minutes, whatever the case may be. So now they have, they can make financial value-based decisions as to what is the low hanging fruit for my company and what has got the most financial impact for me that I can make a choice on. And that could be risks, things that are financial leakage for the company or opportunities, places where I can increase my revenue or my production. Does Does that answer your question there?
1: Yeah, it, it starts to, because I think there's a lot of layers to this. Like, as you were giving that response, what came to my head is, like, where I let's keep with that example. Yeah. We're talking about measuring the time spent with customers. Yeah. If a company leader, whatever that means, looks at a number of, say, an hour and says, that's too long, but that's based upon, that's probably, conclusions not based on data either. It's based upon what they think is right. Like yeah. they guess. So, are you helping them use data to maybe even change what is the right number?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, th- this, this is kind of where we kind of stop talk, talk, talking about the integration of the story and the data, right? So, I go to them and they say, Hey, look, your employees are on average spending an hour on site with their customers. And you say, But I want that number to be 30. Like, look, this, uh, this employee, I don't know if I can say this, that employee on my shit list now because they're, <laughs> because they're, they're not performing to my expectation and said, so, well, let's take a look at the other dimensions of this individual that's performing for you. What is their net promoter score? And their net promoter score puts them in the 78th percentile. That's a pretty high performer there as far as I'm concerned, right? They're one of the higher performers for that company. So this person is spending an hour here, but their net promoter score is high. Let's take a look at their revenue per mile, right? Number of visits, They They continue. They, uh, revenue per mile, how much are they making for every mile that they drive? What is their uh, number of callbacks? How many times are customers calling them back? What is their technical depth and expertise there? We start to look at the deeper story and see nobody ever. very rarely do people call them back. Everyone calls and say, I want Sally to show up when, when I call somebody and they always give her high scores because Sally took the time to explain it to me, but she doesn't see a lot of people.
2: Well, then you also have the lifetime value of a customer. Yeah. So is somebody staying there longer because... Sally was able to have a conversation and actually asked about their family or
0: yeah. So let's layer yeah, let's layer that in, right? How often do customers churn or or you know leave your company for Sally versus uh Jack? Gosh, now all of a sudden you're just looking at the fact that she's spending an hour there, then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Maybe I want more Sally's. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Right. Right? Well, so the question I would have is when you when you go in and you're first engaging with a company are you starting with a story or are you just collecting data and you let the data tell the story? Because oftentimes we can go in with our assumptions and saying, okay, this is the way the world should be. And we could be totally off.
0: Yeah. So the, the, the answer is we usually go in with a bunch of findings that we've come to conclusions that we've come to, right? Okay. This conclusion that look, a lot of your employees, uh, you want you, you what we usually come and ask in asking a couple of questions: what, what would you like to see out of this? Why are you doing this in the first mm-hmm. place? Because I believe that my employees are making 14 visits a day, and I think they could be making 16, right? Or they're making five and I or three, and I think they could be making five. Okay, so you want more production out of them on a daily basis? Great, that's what a lot of, a lot of people want. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's let's see if that's sustainable or that's doable. What's what are the glass ceilings that are holding but- them?
2: But hold on just a moment there, because yeah. I'm going to challenge that assumption. If they're saying that they want more productivity, what they really want is more profit at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Do they right. really care about productivity? Do they really care about profit?
0: That's right. Uh, and that's usually where the questions usually end to. I say, all right, but well, let, let's start with that. We start saying, hey, we found that your employees are on average working a 10 hour a day. What, what, what is reasonable for you as for a working, well, 10 hours. So how are you going to spend, how... So where where are you thinking that we need to cut the trim the fat? Or what what are you seeing? Or what's your suspicion?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you, you're telling me my employees are working 10.3 hours a day. Hmm. They can say, well. So let me ask you, where do you really want to see the uh improvement come? Well, I, I look, I'd like to improve my cash flow as a company. Ah, so you want to be making more revenue, or is it just profitability? Right? So we can start asking those deeper questions, getting to the core of what because it's usually rooted in a feeling, right? Mm-hmm. There's a feeling or suspicion that they have, and they don't know how to touch it or name it or call it a word, to point it to get to it. Okay, and that's where we start to go.
2: Well, to me, it so, seems like there's if you're starting with some story and saying, okay, for for your example, yep. thinking that the issue is the amount of the number of calls somebody makes in a day. Yep. If that's where I'm starting the story then I may only look at the data that I think is relevant to that. And so I may be missing the bigger picture of what the real story is. Yeah. And how and do you help them overcome that then?
0: Yeah, well, so yeah, that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great point, right? And that's why we, we usually don't come in looking at one system. We usually ask them to at least start with two different systems because okay. uh, if you look at just uh, a customer satisfaction uh, system, it really doesn't tell you about their ability to generate revenue, hmm. right? If you look at just a work order management system, it tells you about revenue, but it doesn't really tell you about the longevity of customer lifetime value of that customer and, and, and satisfaction levels, because people depart because they're not getting service properly, right? Yeah. But they're getting charged. If you look at a telematic system, for example, it tells you where the employees have gone if, they're, if it's a company that uh, sends people out on the road. Mm-hmm. but it doesn't tell you what the quality of work was, right? So the synthesis amongst all those different systems and when you start to be able to draw the larger net. So we bring those systems together and start saying, yeah, so you're looking at the revenue per hour, right? Or you're looking at the profitability, but how does that reconcile with the net promoter score? Because your Net promoter score here, so, you know, your scale of one, you know, one to five, whatever scale you use, you're getting a 3.5, is that acceptable to you? No, I want a 4.2. All right. So how does that reconcile with the fact that you want them to go faster right now? (laughs) Right. Right. And usually they they've got to think on that for a little bit and say, well, uh, maybe I need to ask. Let me ask a different question a different way. So it's, it's a little bit of a back and forth where we start to see they start to see the interactivity between this action and this behavior and
1: how they interact with each other. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. So let me pull back up a little higher and I guess perhaps throw in an antithesis here to what you've been talking about. Everything you've shared thus far, the way I heard it was about performance, effectiveness, productivity, all designed to benefit the company. Nothing wrong with that. However, the people weren't part of that equation other than it feels like it's about what you can get out of them. And I know that you also have things you talk about in terms of developing uh, more empathy and empathy creates caring about building team engagement and retention. And right now, for me, as just the outsider, I'm hearing this system is designed to help the company be more productive and profitable. Where's the people engagement, the people retention, the empathy, that piece of this equation? The biggest problem I've had personally as a leader and
0: all the companies that I've started run kind of helped to grow is my ego. I point a finger at my employees saying, you got to work harder, but I never know what these three fingers that are pointing back at me, what that actually means. I don't not even aware of it because I'm pointing my fingers at them. Right? so you're absolutely right. All we've been talking about is the employee side of things. Let me give you a story. So we had an employee who was doing very well uh, in their revenue per mile. Right. Good, good, comfortable number. They were better than average. Not a high performer, but doing comfortable. But their stops were low, as in they weren't making lots of stops. Then that promoter score is good. And they and the company said, I think we've got more productivity in this person. So they started to look at the number of hours they could go. And I said, did you know that this employee is traveling 18% farther than all the other employees?
2: Hmm.
0: And they said, no, I didn't know that. I said, so they're already working a little on the high side as far as hours going. How, how do things change? I said, it sounds like they need to be able to have uh, you know, appointments that are close to each other. How would that occur? They said, well, they don't control the route. I do. Hmm. Hmm. So if we want to get them to be able to make more stops, would someone need to be able to change the route? Yeah. Well, I would have to do that. Yeah. So if you could change it so that their route was more tightly clustered, would that give them the space and the opportunity to start to increase their revenue per mile and also the number of visits? Yeah. So what you're telling me, Vanai, is that I need to change. I change changed. Standard. Okay. Hold on a second. Let me bring somebody else into this meeting. I think we need to change these routes. Can you tell me all the other people that, where we need to change the routes? It's like, yeah, let's go take a look at all the graphs for each one of those individual employees to find out where this exists. And they start finding out that they're the limiting factor.
2: hmm <laughs>
0: And then they start, ask, they start realizing that they're not seeing where they're holding their employees back.
1: It sounds In like a place. blind spot. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. So my, my, my pushback on that, Vinaya, that feels like yet another exploration, though, to continue to make the employee more productive. Now, the employee might feel better about that a little bit if the employee says, well, I appreciate that you're making my life a little easier. Yeah. Um, and my score is going to go up. My net promoter score, well, my average mile. I'm I'm going to perform better. But did that, and I guess that improved the employee's experience. It feels still feels to me like that's heavily weighted towards company benefit versus employee benefit. Nothing wrong again, but where's the the employee, employee side, of, side of this? Yeah. So yeah, let's talk
0: about the em- empathy component, right? Um, Uh, Having managed companies before, having managed people before, let's say I've got eight people working for me, my management style, the way I talk will resonate with probably three out of maybe two or three of those eight people, right? The rest of them, all I hear is Charlie Brown's teacher, kind of (laughs) going on the background the whole time, right? That's because two or three of those people like my style, right? And I manage, I think everyone tends to manage people the way they like to be managed based on their personality. Once I start seeing these employee graphs, I start to see how each employee is different in the way they like to be managed, right? And that's what we do. We build an employee graph per employee, per team, per leader, per organizational unit, all the way up and down, right? You can see how they're lined up. And that's what we call empathizing the data, right? You start to build a gold standard for what is the performance, the, the, the archetype for a, a fantastic or highly effective person in that role or a highly effective employee. And you start to see how each individual lines up against it. Now, if they can't make more revenue per mile, that's not something that they can change, right? That's something that management has to change, right? Mm -hmm. If they are spending too much time on site, it looks like it's a training issue now, right? Because the employee doesn't know how to improve themselves. You need to lead them there. You need to invite them to that better place. So what starts happening is we go to these companies and we say, so where do you want to focus next? Because whether it's revenue per mile or production per hour or whatever uh, you know uh, items that you're taking a look at, right? Whatever dimension you're starting to look at, we start to show them those financial impact scores along with it. You're leaving $800 a month per employee on the table. You're leaving $1,900 a month per employee on the table. We go to them and say, "Do you want to capture that? Because if you do, this is how you need to unlock it with your employee. You need to shift the conversation that you're asking. You need to ask them
1: better questions because that's your blind spot. Hmm. That that makes sense." So what I heard in that is that through these tools, you can identify what the tools allow you to identify the needs of the employees. And by doing using these tools and providing the training, perhaps it's the training about those conversations or the, the clustering of the appointments so that their revenue per mile goes up. Those employees now become higher performers within the organization, and so is, is there an anticipation that as the employee's performance improves with support from the company, that then that helps enhance engagement and retention? Absolutely. I mean, look,
0: what, what I've always found is that most employees, quote, I love using all the time, is sort of a guiding principle, right? People join a company for the vision they leave because of management. and. There's a huge gray space in the middle, which is called clarity, right? What is that clarity of the, how do I, how do I do my role and how do I pay a piece in the puzzle every single day, every single moment of every day against that vision in my role, right? And most people do employee performance series annually, Right. (laughs) Most that's, that's supposed we, to we don't
2: agree with that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and I don't know many managers who get up, you know, in the morning and go, I can't wait to do five employee reviews today.
1: I don't know that they I've heard that the yet. opposite. <laughs> it's right.
2: And, and yet right. the, the best ones that we find are the ones that are doing it constantly, but yeah. it's not, it's not a formal review. It's called a conversation.
0: Yeah. So this is all based on the data that's live streaming in your company, right? We take this stuff and 15 minutes later, it's already displayed. You've, you see how the course of a day is evolving, right? You see which processes continually provide a certainty of outcome, right? You see which managers continue to deliver good results and why, right? They may be good at one process. They may not be so good at another process, right? So when,
2: when you're looking at, the, at that overlay of this is the way that the optimal leader is going to operate in this environment. How dependent upon the individuals in that environment is that statement? So in other words, if, you, if people leave, other people come in, does that need to change? Do you replace that leader? You know, how does, how does that operate
0: for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think there's two parts to that answer, right? First is uh, the goal at first is to find what is that you can build a baseline of what expectations are. I mean, first of all, I'll tell you, that's the biggest challenge for a lot of companies just find a baseline that you can say to people, this is what uh, success looks like. Mm -hmm. It means A, B, C, and B, right? They say that the job description and it probably is oftentimes never revisited again until they leave. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right? So being able to build that expectation of what you've got to do in that role to achieve success, right? That's number one. So we build that baseline. As the organization changes, as you put new managers in, as you shift roles, right, you actually still have that benchmark, uh, that baseline within which to say, do I want to change that benchmark because the organization has changed, or do I still hold it to that same exact baseline? Okay, Uh, good. So now you can start to make a decision saying, hey, look, we are entering a brand new market, right? Or I'm open, I've got six offices open, six branch locations, I'm opening up a seventh location. How do I hold that seventh location accountable to the same standard as the first six? I can't. It's it's got to get started. Up. So for the first 18 months, I'm gonna lower my expectations. I don't want them to do 10, I want them to do five, right? But in Q1, I want them to go to six. In Q2, I expect them to go to seven, so on and so forth, right? I can start to step it up and now I can turn the knobs, levers, and dials to make sure that they continue to step up in the rent because I can watch it in real time. Because it's the employees don't have to change their behaviors because it's already being collected from the software that's potentially already within the system. So it takes five minutes to implement, right?
2: Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cardavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts
1: How often are you opening up using data to open up a conversation about values? Uh, So I guess an example that comes to mind is, and I think we're we're seeing a lot of this right now because of the shift in the way work is happening the last 18 months plus with COVID. There's so much, there's been so much focus on hours. Even in companies that say it's not about hours, it still is. And I've I've asked a lot of leaders this question. I said, let's. Let's say you've got a typical work day, which is say it's nine hours, call it whatever it is. And you've got an employee that's achieving your objectives in seven hours. What do you do with that employee? Yeah, like, Hopefully they're a high performer. And, but I said, are they? And uh, so many leaders have said, wow, um, <laughs> I got to admit, my first thought was, I'm going to give them more to do. I'm going to raise my expectation. Because then that somehow doesn't really feel fair either Yeah. because I've got someone who's actually outperforming everyone else. And their reward is I'm going to ask you to work harder. Um, and he said, that tells me I'm thinking about time, not deliverables. So that would be an example where you might say, so is that really the value you want to have in your company?
0: Yeah. Uh, it. I, I think it's a really good question. I mean, and I'll tell you. I mean, a lot of people talk about this whole idea of this great, the great resignation. I, I think resignation is an outcome, right? Uh, it started before the resignation, right? I think we should call it the great disengagement because it's first about <laughs> the, the the leaders not being engaged with the employees, and therefore, after a while, they just kind of give up. I don't care anymore, and they're now disengaged in their role, right? But that's why they resigned. Uh, to answer your question about how to lean in with people. Look, pay for performance, I believe, makes a lot of sense, right? If you set expectations for what you're gonna do, the hard thing with pay for performance is, I can't see the data, I can't see a correlation between you do this and I'll give you this, right? And that's what my company changes, <laughs> right? I can see that pay for performance. So if, you, if they're doing better, say, hey, let me hang a, hang, hang a carrot in front of you. I'm gonna give you 50 bucks more for every time you press that button. Right? Well, I can actually see if you press that button or not. Uh, and look, this is kind of the whole heart centric leadership side. It, it doesn't have to be about compensation all the time. Say, look, right now, cash flow wise, I, I can't really pay you more, but I can see that you're doing this. And I really need to get over the hump and I need to close this. We need to look, we just started the seventh office and I just need to get to a point where we're making five, uh, 10 appointments a day. And I know we're at five right now. Can, can you help me out? At some point in time, you got to come true on that. Right. But if you can give them a purpose and a reason that part of I think that endears employees to you, where they feel like you can't you can't go forward without them, because I stop calling people in my company employees. I call them my experts right? because they know they know stuff. I, I'm not smart enough to understand. Uh, and I lean on them to tell me from the top of the mountains that they stand on kind of where it's going to be raining next. Right.
2: But Vinaya, it sounds like you have to be vulnerable. You have to actually admit that you need their help.
0: Yeah. Uh, I start every conversation with every potential new heart and say, look, I'm going to take this off the table right now. I, I make, I've made one more mistake than anyone in the world. So I'm, I'm the biggest failure in the world. End of story. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm going to give you a project here and you're going to screw up. Don't worry. You still haven't caught up with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, I think that's a shift. I mean, it, it, it is, it is a hard thing to do. I used to pride myself on the fact that I've got, you know, master's in artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I'm just a furiously curious guy. I love talking about pretty much anything under the sun. There's, you know, this is all of the world that I can see all this stuff. I have no idea what's there. Right. So at, at best I can only learn, you know, 85 years worth of stuff. But if I get 500 people, 5,000 other people around me, I have so much more knowledge. And that's what's important to me is being able to pick up the phone and call them and get them to tell me what's, what's going wrong. Yeah. I don't know it, i don't know i don't want to know all the answers <laughs> i
1: want to I know think, the right questions <laughs> i think it's interesting that example you gave of that team member if you have the data and you talked about well i'm going to give you 50 dollars more for the time you hit the button or maybe i don't have it right now what hit me was i think a lot of leaders would say this is radical well, what if you went and said well look um craig because craig's the one doing it. said, so craig i'm going to give you the option see what's important to what's important to you Uh, you can have $50 more every time you hit the button, or um, you can work less hours. You're hitting the button enough, and you decide what's important to you. And I think that thought doesn't cross enough leaders minds. Yeah, totally. I think it terrifies leaders, because their first thought is, I could get more. And their second thought is, but if I do that, I'm going to hear from everybody else about how that's not fair. And I don't want to deal with that. And I think some of the one of the things that I think the great resignation, the, I love that, the great disengagement, is bringing to the to the forefront is the potential, I believe, the truth, frankly, that treating people differently is what needs to happen. <laughs> but we've had decades of doing just the opposite. we got to find a way to treat everybody the same.
2: Everybody is a machine, and yeah. all machines are equal.
1: Yeah.
0: No. I think it was... <laughs> I think it was Napoleon Hill that said, the greatest leaders are not the ones who do extraordinary things, they do ordinary things extraordinarily. Hmm. Fabulous, right? Lean into your people, come in and you know, I heard about this one, uh, one leader of a company, came in every day and was an Italian guy, loved, loved singing uh, opera songs, would come in always singing a song and people got used to that. That set the pace for the culture. <laughs> and one day he didn't show up, right? And everyone else in the office kind of wondering what, what's going on here. Right. And other people had sing; they started learning songs and singing along with them because that was the thing that everyone did in the office. One day he didn't show up. Two days he didn't show up. And third day, people started to get very concerned. Right. There was a lot of buzz in the office and it was that he had had a medical issue. And the outpouring of support for that leader was incredible. They said his whole hospital room, you couldn't even get into the room because there were so many flowers and cards and you know, baskets and stuff like that. Isn't that what you want as a leader? Right. you people to. I mean, what I want as a leader is my people thinking
1: about my problems and solving my problems when they're not at work. I'm curious for your company. Have the organizations and leaders been asking different questions and different ones of you during this COVID pandemic than before? And if so, what has changed?
0: Yeah, one, uh, one organization we're working with has got about 2,200 technicians spread across 43 different offices, right? So I, you know, I, when I first talked to that chief operating officer of that company, I said, gosh, and they're also seasonal in terms of the way they hire. They hire in, in April and, and hire March, April timeframe and then let them go in November. That's just the seasonal cycle for this company. I said, my gosh, you guys must have an incredibly strong culture to be able to do so much hiring. 2,200 people, I mean, the better part of them in the course of 30 days across these 43 different locations. This is the response I got. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, he didn't have to say any more. I'm like, oh my God, you don't have a process for that. That must be an absolute nightmare to go through that process, right? <laughs> we have shifted from thinking about just simple processes and just kind of reacting in all hands on deck and working, you know, 24 hours a day to kind of get people on board. To they're now starting to talk about coachable moments. Vinay, when do I start finding the coachable moments for my employees? Ah, that's that's different, right? And we're starting to see those coachable moments when a person starts with a company inside of a week, inside of two weeks, as opposed to waiting for two months or three months to find out that they're heading down the wrong path because the data is already starting to show where they're trending. And it's not based on us guessing what they're doing. It's actually based on what they've done. This is the truth, right? So I think that's been one major shift that I've been starting to see is this idea of coachable moments and I, can you show me where the coachable moments are so I can start to lean into my employees and kind of nip it in the bud before they start to learn bad habits and ingrain that into their behaviors.
1: Wow, that's a great perspective. One thing I wanna make sure we talk about, but I, I know um, in looking at your website ahead of time, one thing that you talk about a good bit is empathetic leadership. And I think we've used that word a little bit, but can you talk about what that is for you? Because I think one of the biggest challenges Within leadership, is there's I judge so much confusion about it, misunderstanding, uh, fear about it. So, what does that really mean to you, and why does it matter? Yeah, let me talk about it sort of from a uh, from a personal point of view.
0: Um, are you all familiar with the hero's journey? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and the idea is that there's some individual, the hero, right? And then they find a guide because they have this supernatural calling, right? Which is where they kind of start to see that their their beliefs have need to shift. I see, that's why I call my employees experts. I don't see myself as the hero. I see them as the hero, right? All I simply am is the steward or guide for them to level up. Because as they constantly level up, they're pushing me up on top of that, right? So for me, empathetic leadership is the idea that I get to continually reinvest and re understand their story. Every time I talk to them, they tell me about their kid. They tell me about, uh, I've got an employee in the Philippines. She's been with me for three and a half years now. I've never met her. She loves what she does and she's constantly suggesting ideas. But I ask her about her, her, uh, her, her, her fiance and what's, how was the pandemic? Did you guys go on a scooter ride? And how are those grocery stores looking? That kind of stuff, right? Because I'm constantly learning her story. And the reason why I ask, and I ask her on a time to time, uh, regular basis, Give me, a, give me an answer on a scale of one to 10. There's no wrong answer here. I, there's never any impunity here. Scale of one to 10, 10 being fantastic. How do you feel in the role? Right. They get to the answer. I will tell you, I like to pride myself on the fact that I, I, don't, I haven't heard a six in a while, but most sevens, eights, and nines. Right, And as an empathetic leader, my job is to understand the story and constantly reassess where we're heading as a company and where they can add some value to unlock more and say, hey. Uh, Janine, um, so we've got this new podcast series that we're we're doing. She's running a podcast for me right now called The Business Blind Spots Exposed. We've 60 episodes in, I show up for the podcast, that's it. That's it, right? She does all the back work, pre-production, post-production, takes care of all that stuff. Uh, the media collateral, all that stuff, so she, she does all of that. I said, we're starting a new podcast. Can you storyboard this out for me? She said, yeah, you mean, you? do you want me on the call? I said, no. <laughs> no, no, you do it and come back, present me a storyboard. She built diagrams. She built the media kits. She built how we're going to have the images and the promotional videos. I said, how much time did you spend on She said, I've been working on it for three weeks straight. <laughs> she didn't charge me a, a moment of time for it. She wanted to do it. To me, that's the win as the empathetic leader. She's doing it because she sees the win for herself because she wants to be a podcast producer one day. And I said, that's where we're going to get you. Right. Tell me where you need to meet me to apply some attention. Tell me where you need to be me to put some dollars. If you need some training, no, that's great. I think
2: you know one of the questions I would have there is: you're you're looking at this data. You're you're connecting with the people around you. You're trying to figure out where your blind spots are, and now you get this this place where you're coming into a company and you're saying, if you do this you can, you know, make $900 a month more, you know, per, per the, per employer, you know, whatever those numbers are. Yeah. Is there an ideal for the company? And if the company chose to change different processes, maybe even change the people, you know, they could get to this optimal profitability. And then from there decide what things they may want to unoptimize to have maybe a better culture, or to fit better with values, or something like that.
0: Uh, I I would love to tell you I have the answer, but I think once I do have the answer to that, I think that's when that's when we become a unicorn, <laughs> right? Uh, I've had a number of companies ask me say, "Can you give me the slider? Employee loves me, productivity or profitability? Right? Where is that slider? When can I do it?" I, I'm I'm starting to get a sense of where the endpoints on that slider are, right? Is it really
2: and, a continuum though? Is it one or the other? I, I would think that if, if you have this place where people really enjoy being there, that productivity would be soaring as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I you know, I love my quotes here. I, I've said if, if, if profit is the prime directive, it's very short-sighted, but if empathy is your prime directive, profit comes along for the ride, right? If you start leaning people, people do the process the right way because they want it, like the salesperson we were talking about, right? Uh, you're right. I believe so. Whether it's a continuum, where it's, it's a multi-faceted uh, you know, spider or radar graph, I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, that's kind of where I think over time, my background in AI and ML will start to give us the answer. I don't think we'll ever have a true, here's the answer, here's what it looks like. It's not 42, the answer of life, <laughs> right? Uh, it's probably going to be sort of a, a, a range of, of things, right? Based on maybe type of market, based on the business model, yeah. based on uh, geographic considerations, right? We'll say this is what's optimal, right? That's why we focus on specific markets so that we have, we can start to draw some inferences between companies. Does that answer your question?
2: Yes, and uh, thank you for the reference to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We don't get too many of those.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> we're, we're coming up on time here, Vinay. My, my last question is this. One thing we've talked about uh, on the podcast before is people have an inherent need or desire to be seen. And I'm realizing in this conversation, I think there's a second layer to that. They want to be seen, but they want to be seen as more than just a cog in the wheel, just a piece of the puzzle. And I, I suspect that there's a risk in the in the in the what you've shared that if you don't Add the empathy It's something we talk about a lot Is empathy is you can do everything with empathy. It's not, you may have the hard conversations with empathy, make the hard decisions with empathy versus you make a hard decision or you're empathetic because I could see your, your use of data helping causing people to be seen only as a tool of productivity. So how just talk about that, Point. that seen as versus seen as more than.
0: Yeah, I, and then I'm gonna answer, I'm gonna come at this from a slightly different angle because I wanna come back and answer that, right? The seen as versus uh, disengaged, right? Uh, when you start to go to an employee and say, look, I talk about this, I don't like the term servant leadership, but I like to talk about this idea of invitational leadership. Let me invite you to a better future for yourself, right? Because that's what I need in this role. I'd like to invite you there. And here's the archetype or the gold standard for that role that I need you to get to in order to, to reach that. Now, one of two things can happen, right? That employee says, go, go pound sand. I'm not going to work any harder. I'm not going to change anything. Fabulous, right? I think I think you no, know you're the wrong person. Yeah, that's right. Thank you very much for your time or or alternatively. I mean, I think this is a better outcome because it's hard to find good people, right? Uh, and retrain them. They say, yeah, but I don't know how to do that. Fabulous, right? Let me show you the way, let me put a plan in place and I can watch you every week to see if you get there, right? So now what has happened? You have now re-engaged with the employee in doing that, right? You've given them a plan of action. You're not telling them to drive more safely. You're not trying to tell them, hey, spend more time on the phone on customer service. You've given them specific um, coaching to what they need for their specific personality and performance profile, right? They are being seen, they are being heard but to the end that it leads to greater profitability for the company. I think that's a win-win. It's an end; it's not an or.
1: Absolutely, love it. Well, I love this and you know, we have a lot of people and I, what I really love, my big takeaway when I is this idea of integrating the story with the data. It's not an either or, because you're right, some people love the data to the exclusion of the story and can think that the story muddles the data And then people who are storytellers can feel restricted by the data and it loses the magic. And what I'm hearing you say, the magic is when you bring them together. Yeah. But wouldn't it be interesting to tell a story that's based upon the facts versus some incorrect data or assumptions?
0: Let me me get a little bit uh, uh, existential here on you for a little bit, right? If you go out into your street in the front and you go look at all the stuff around you, you see mailboxes, you see cars, you see houses, you see trees, you see all these different things. They have different heights, sizes, shapes, right? And they all have their individual and unique beauty. I look, I look at that apple tree in the front yard or oak or whatever else. Oh, it's beautiful, right? But I'm looking at just that oak. I got to tell you, every time I've gone to the top of a mountain, climbed to the top of a perspective, even if it's 200 feet versus 3,000 feet, I look down. I look out of the window of an airplane. That's why I'm always drawn to looking down at that airplane, even though I've seen it a thousand times before. It's so beautiful and how it all comes together, right? That's what, when data and storytelling exist as the same thing, as opposed to two separate things on a fourth dimension, right? From that much higher perspective, they are beautiful together, right? They make a beautiful story. That's why. It's not hard to connect all these dots together, because when you look, look from the higher perspective, that's what quantum physics is all about. But look at on the fourth level, things on the third dimension become very elegant. It's just a natural system that already exists. We just need to be able to step up. And that's the opportunity here. When you start to be empathetic, you start to allow that to exist on a higher plane. You step up as a leader and you bring everyone else along with you naturally.
1: Great point. I love, I love this. Thank you, Vanai. Thanks for all that you brought today. We, we always want to make sure our guests have an opportunity to promote or highlight something. What is that for you or for uh, Carmo? Well, uh, I think there's two things. First of all, we do a,
0: a podcast called a Business Blind Spots Expose, where we give specific insights uh, into how you can use some of this data and transform an organization. So we take case studies and let people who have been there and done that. And I'd love to have you all on if you're if, if you all are so inclined. Uh, I'd love to have you all here. You can ask fantastic questions. Um, I'd love to have you all come and take a look at some of these and we can give specific examples. Here's what you do today. If you have this existing in your company, right? So it's called a business blind spots exposed. That's a podcast that we do uh, love to have people listen and subscribe. Give us, give us their comments and feedback Uh, as Carmo. uh, We're looking for companies who want to up-level their leadership. Don't have to change everyone. Just find out where they are so that you can up-level the way you lead, you lead you, the way you manage and how how many superheroes exist in your company and build more superheroes. Uh, and we do a free business uh, alignment and financial impact assessment. So for anybody who's interested, uh, I can give you the details on how they can combine. We'll, we'll, we'll do an assessment for them and see if we can help them,
1: help, at least help them show what's possible. Well, that leads to the second question. So what's the, Best way for people to connect to you and to Carmo?
0: I will spend, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, uh, constantly putting posts. You'll see some of these, uh, these roles, these demographics, these, uh, we're about to start a series where we're going to go through five specific stories and how, what questions to ask for those employees to empower not only the employee, but also the leader in terms of transforming that relationship, re-engaging people, getting them to higher productivity and profitability. So LinkedIn is a fantastic place to find me. Um, you can reach out to me direct, directly, or you can uh, email me. Vinay, R-V-I-N-A-Y, letter R, at Carmo, with two A's, C-A-A-R-M-O.com. Feel free to reach out. love to help uh, repeat anything that I've had, if it's of value.
2: I will say, well, Vinay, I've never seen anybody with a, um, an animated LinkedIn profile. picture so cool good job i'm gonna copy it (laughs)
0: please do please do make it
1: better (laughs) yeah i know this is great well we'll put all that in the show notes for and and the final question we'll just ask you one question today our wrap-up question is i want you to think about dinner who's who do you who's living that you want to have dinner with and what's that one question you're going to make sure you ask them Have you all ever heard of somebody who's a yogi and a mystic named Sadhguru? Familiar, but not familiar. Um,
0: I got to tell you, if there's one person that continues to draw me forward, I mean, an incredibly curious sort, but I still don't know what I don't know. There's a whole (laughs) heck of a lot in that category, right? Every time I listen to this man speak, I was like, gosh, that's what I've had in my gut. I couldn't put words to it. So I don't know if it's fair to tell me to limit me to one question, but uh, um, I might ask him. Gosh, what is the one question I would ask him? What would you what would you recommend? Rec- recommend what is the hardest challenge for someone to go through? Because I'll probably run right
1: at it. <laughs> what the well, thank you for that. Vinay. Thanks for being here and sharing. Not only your wisdom, but the ideas, your perspectives, and uh, for creating something that allows leaders and organizations to not only grow themselves, but to grow their people and their outcomes and their impact. So thank you for that.
0: Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I I, uh, I I hope, I think we do this all for the same reason. We just see that there's a better future for mankind that we would all like to be part of. And um, I'm definitely willing to participate in that.
1: Amen. <laughs> thank you.
2: If you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cardavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Don't you go-